you're joining us for the first time today, we are continuing our series uh, called Together, looking at community. We've looked at a number of passages in the Bible from Acts, um, when the new community of Jesus comes together and the love that they have for one another is magnetic for the community around them. And we are going to be in the book of John, actually, John chapter 17 this morning. We had our reading from Philippians. Just let that be background for you, but we're going to be in John chapter 17 this morning. I invite you to pray with me as we begin. Father in heaven, we have been gifted with sublime music. We have heard your word. And in this moment, we are open to your spirit to work in our lives. Lord, we pray that the distractions of the week, we pray that the stress of our lives will melt away. That for the next few moments, we will be attentive to your spirit. That you will challenge us, you will change us, you will make us more like Jesus. It is our prayer in his name. Amen. It's difficult to explain to a five-year-old what space travel is. There are some things which are so far above their understanding that to try can seem like an exercise in futility. And yet, this is exactly what Anne McLean did with her five-year-old son, Briggs Warden, who one day went to school and told his friends that his mother was a um, uh, was, an, was an engineer. And she said to her son, what else did you tell your class about what I do? And he said, that's it. They have never met an engineer before, mom. That's all I told them about you. And so you had Anne McLean laughing because she was not just an engineer, but actually a NASA astronaut who's going to go into space. But for a five-year-old mind, your mom being an engineer is sufficient enough information to wow your friends that you don't even tell them she happens to be an astronaut for NASA. When Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong went to space, they had to explain to their kids what that meant. Neil Armstrong had two children, six and 12, and he had to explain um, the intricacies of the trip he was about to make, which at that point was going to be the first to the moon. And of course, his children struggled to understand what it meant for their father to be in space. He did their, his best to calm their fears and explain as much as he could, but 99% of the information went over their head. And there are times in life when there are things too immense to fully grasp and to explain to younger minds. Some of us have found ourselves scrambling in some way to answer the question of an inquiring young mind uh, when they ask how that baby got into mommy's stomach. And they may ask, did she swallow it? Did she eat the baby? How is it in her stomach? They may ask, why is the sky blue? And you think you know these things until you have a six-year-old drilling you nonstop, and all of a sudden you melt because you don't know why the sky is blue. You don't know why the sun stays in the sky without falling. Well, you may do, but you can't explain it to a six-year-old. And you don't know where God's house is, and no, you don't have the address, so they can send a letter. Small questions 
depending on the context, can seem incredibly difficult to answer. And here we have the disciples in the chapter we'll be in, in John, trying to wrap their mind around the very difficult concept of Jesus Christ leaving them and living life after the resurrected Christ has ascended and gone back to heaven. And in many ways, Jesus' disciples were no better prepared than a six-year-old being instructed by an astronaut parent about the intricacies of space travel. It was beyond the comprehension of the disciples to fully understand the pre-departure moment of Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter 17, well, I'll invite you to turn, we come to this incredible uh, moment in the life of Jesus Christ, and it's a Thursday. Jesus Christ has gathered his disciples for a final meal. Jesus has washed their feet. Jesus has broken bread. Jesus has given them the cup, and he has shared a commandment to love one another. And then he tries to prepare them for his imminent departure. And like I said, it's an almost impossible task. But then he promises them that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, remind you of of my words, will be with you, and will lead you into all truth. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this moment we're going to look at when Jesus prays in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's his in Gethsemane, and Jesus is praying alone. So the Synoptic Gospels have Jesus in Gethsemane praying alone. When we go to John, though, we find that instead of his disciples being a distance from him, the scene is different. In John's recollection of this moment, Jesus and his disciples have not yet began their travel to the garden, where Jesus will meet Judas and be betrayed by a kiss. Instead, in John, when Jesus prays, the disciples are within earshot. So he's not far removed in a garden, but in John 17, Jesus is praying and the disciples are overhearing his prayer. They are within earshot. And so this farewell discourse in John 17 turns from just information that Jesus is given. Instead, it turns to intercession. And so you will notice in John 17, Jesus does not offer instructions to his disciples or instructions to the church. Instead, Jesus prays for them. So here's the difference as I see it. It's a difference between uh, being on a flight. And you know when you get on a flight, you put your headphones on, you check to see who's next to you. You're hoping they're not going to do anything weird, right, or socially unacceptable. And then you listen to the uh, attendant give you the pre-flight instructions. Um, and they may ask you to pay attention. They may tell you where the exits are. If you're an exit row, they may ask you if you're able to do it. You have to pay attention to the instructions that are being given, right? And they may also say there are going to be um, additional instructions in the seat back if you want to get more information. But this isn't what Jesus is doing. He is not trying to capture the attention of the disciples. He's not asking them to take their headphones off, to lower the music, and to listen to him. Instead, Jesus is in a private moment of intercession for his disciples, and they just happen to overhear him. And this makes a big difference to the context 
of where we'll be this morning. In fact, scholars call this moment in John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Because this is Jesus entering into a moment of intercession, and from this place, Jesus will go to the cross to that great event which brings freedom and liberty to his disciples and to those that follow him. So Jesus is here pouring his heart out for those he deeply loves. Let's read John 17, 20 to 26 together. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you, and you are in me and I am in, me, in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. And then Jesus continues, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. And then verse 26, I have made you known to them, and we will continue to make, and will continue to make it known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. So if you've not read the book of John, it's very different to the synoptics. And just these six verses seem incredibly dense with a lot of dancing pronouns, and you may already be lost. You may be wondering, what's all of this I in them and mean that what is going on, John? What John is doing in this portion, and this is the highlight if you want to know just meta what happens here, is Jesus is praying for his disciples in a moment where he senses their anxiety, their confusion, their fear, the unknown of the future. Jesus Christ is on his knees praying for them, and it's a powerful moment. And Jesus prays for them on this occasion, this last public prayer before the cross. And in verse 22, Jesus says what I think is the most important and grounding part of this particular passage. He prays to God and he asks that they may be one. That as he is one, Jesus with the Father and the Spirit, that we may also be one. And so if you're reading this text, you may ask some questions, and the questions that you may ask would probably be the same questions I would ask. What does it mean, Jesus, for a community of followers to be one? What does it mean? Does it mean that we are exactly the same? Does it mean that we have to be identical? Is this what it means, Jesus, for us to be one? For, for me to answer that question, I would immediately think about the example Jesus said. Jesus chose disciples who were radically different in temperament, personality, political philosophy, and socioeconomic station. There are glaring differences. If you were to just roll up and see Jesus with his disciples, you would wonder, just like in Acts chapter 2, how this group of people ever got together. It would make no sense 
And so Jesus, in his example of unity, does not have a group of people who are exactly the same. And so this oneness Jesus is asking and praying to the Father for cannot mean being identical, and it cannot be interpreted as uniformity. Uniformity is when we get trees and hedges hacked, cut, and clipped so as to reduce them to a common size and shape, to diminish them so that they can look exactly the same. That is uniformity. Unity, on the other hand, is when we have trees in a forest all growing according to the course of nature of diverse shapes, of sizes, dependent for their wild beauty and strength on the same influences of nature. This is unity. When the trees stretch out their thousand branches and myriad leaves to catch the light and the air and the dew and the showers of heaven. And unity, my friends, I think is best demonstrated as we think about living together as followers of Christ. Unity is best demonstrated and seen in diversity, whereas uniformity is threatened by diversity. Point, uh, case in point, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uses the metaphor of the body and teaches that diversity is not opposed to unity, it is essential. For example, the body could not rightly function if the entire body was just made up of eyes, ears, or mouth, right? It'd make no sense, it'd be a monstrosity if, an, if you met a walking ear or a walking mouth. It would make no sense. So Paul speaks about the body of Christ and in speaking about the body of Christ, there is a subtext that the body of Christ has a certain level of diversity which is good, which is necessary for the function of its mission. And that's why we are grateful that here at the Walla Walla University Church, we have a diversity in our, unis in our unity under the banner of the risen Christ. And so some of us in this place, and I've met you, and I felt it, our feet you may wonder, what, what do you mean, we're feet? Why are you calling me a foot? Because if it was not for you, if it were not for you, ready to take action, ready to say, okay, enough with all of the talk, when are we going to move? When are we going to do something? We would be stuck in committees forever if we did not have our feet. There are some of you who are the eyes and you see beauty in what happens. And because of you, we have a beautiful place to worship. We have beautiful artwork. We have beauty around us because you see and you've been gifted by God as an integral part of our body and our community to appreciate music. There are those of you who can open your mouths and you sing beautifully. Your fingers can move across the keys and make music. Everyone's looking at Trevor. That's right. It's bit, I'm sure there's other people who play the piano, but it's just you apparently. And because of the ability that you have, you are able to give us a, a different sense of the beauty that comes in community. There are others who are shoulders ready to lend strength and ready to give your time. And we've seen it this week. 
with all of the updates we've been getting about the flood response and all of the pictures that I see, and I'm constantly seeing students, I'm seeing church members, I'm seeing staff and faculty who as part of their commitment to following the risen Christ use their strength and their time to help those who are in need. And then there are some of us in here, and Paul does not use this one, but I'm going to stretch his illustration because it's here, who are not shoulders or mouths, we're not ears or nose, we're not feet, we're gastric acid. We break down, (laughs) we digest and absorb, you know, uh, uh, proteins, we are sentinels that eliminate bacteria and viruses, and we thank God that in a community, the gastric acid and those of us who are stomach acid, um, baptized by the Spirit of God, understand our strength. Um, we keep our strength uh, tamed so we don't burn holes through the body. And yet we are needed because each of us, with the diversity that we have been given, add to the beauty of the body of Christ. Unfortunately, I think we sometimes misinterpret unity as uniformity, and we unfairly package the substance of the gospel with our cultural wrapping, and we insist that the gospel can only be communicated and authentically lived in the way that we grew up and the way we prefer. And so in some places, you will see people spending exorbitant amounts of energy trying to turn out cookie-cutter Christians who look alike, think alike, concerning non-essentials, and act alike. And that is not unity. It is, and I found this in my office. I wasn't going to eat it, so this serves as a good illustration. It's the difference between uh, finding our unity on the form or the packaging versus the substance of the gospel. Now, as Adventists, we have some unique and beautiful readings of the gospel. We have some unique understandings of the beauty of the character of God. And this is a substance of what brings us and gathers us in this place weekly, that brings us into each other's lives um, when it's not Sabbath, that gives us shared mission. It's the substance of the gospel, of Jesus Christ, of the risen Christ, of the coming Christ, of rest in Sabbath, of, the, of, of a God whose love for us is so profligate, he gives us the ability to make free choices. This is the substance of it. Unfortunately, we often get mixed up and we give the substance to people in packaging And we say both of them are equally important. And here's the problem, or here's the challenge. Often, the packaging that we give as Adventists is good. So we say here, be a follower of Jesus, and as you're a follower of Jesus, and because we believe the Holy Spirit resides in you, here are some things that, as a community, historically, we have decided to do to abstain from, whether it's uh, in terms of food, whether it's in terms of uh, uh, how we order our life. These are some things we do, and we, it's packaging for the substance of the gospel, for the substance of Jesus. The problem becomes when we are unable to separate the substance and the form. 
And we say that for you to be part of us, for you to be united with us, and really to uniformity, your gospel must fit in our packaging. Your music must fit in our packaging. Your recreation must fit within our packaging. The way that you order your life has to fit in our packaging. And it's interesting because often in those moments, we move uh, from being people who uh, are in the line with the rest, Protestant Reformation and Sola Scripture, and we have to go in all other directions to prove with so much energy that the packaging that we are giving you as Adventists is just as important as the gospel that we say needs to be preached to every tongue, kindred, and nation. And it's something we have to be careful with. This is not unity. It simply teaches conformity and produces incredible actors, angry activists, and subversive dissenters. We don't all need to look alike and think alike to be united. In fact, um, I was thinking about this, and we'll see if this works, E. Cantori. The diversity, now I'm going to come back to you, but now you're awake. Not that you were sleeping. I know, you, I know you're paying attention, but I'm going to come back to you. Don't worry. <laughs> We're going to see if this works. Give me like five minutes. In fact, this week I sat down with a student who was asking some questions, and the questions were around the packaging and the substance. So they did not grow up an Adventist, but then they became an Adventist later in life. And now they've come to Walla Walla, And they're looking around, they're asking questions because they're in a place and a time of their life which is formational, where what your parents told you seems to fade into into the past, it recedes, and you're looking into the future and you're deciding, am I going to stick with this thing? And if I am, what is really important and what is just the form? What's the substance of following Jesus? What's the substance of being an Adventist? And this um, young person is sitting down, wrestling, trying to figure out, is it true that I am truly not a Christian or an Adventist if I do not have a certain length for what I wear, if I go to certain places for recreation? Is it true that if I read certain versions or not of the Bible that it means I am not as serious as a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it true that there are certain forms of music which are just an abomination and can never be touched? And asking all of these questions because they are struggling and and trying to figure out, is there a place for me if the packaging that I have for the truths of the gospel of the risen Christ is different than the one given to me by my parents, by my grandparents? by the church which I grew up in. And too often we are quick to push people and to give a blanket no. And I think it's important to remember that people who have peripheral personal convictions moved from the outside and made central have to understand that they do not represent the unity Christ prayed for in John 17. People 
who do that live according to a basic theological paradigm in which the restrictions that they impose on themselves and others all of a sudden have purchasing power for salvation with God. And so if you live as I live, you don't do what I don't do, you don't eat what I don't eat, you don't watch what I don't watch, you don't listen to what I don't listen to, it gives you purchasing power for salvation. And when we do that, we have a narrow, narrow view of the gospel, which guts the substance and gives people the form. And people cannot survive and be nourished and live abundant life if we are giving the form of our personal cultural convictions over the substance of the gospel that Jesus has called us to. Our playlist, our wardrobes, our pantries, our recreation, our Sabbath-keeping habits are not the gold standard by which other people must adhere to. And so if unity is not to be found in uniformity, I think perhaps following the words of Jesus, it is to be found in union. Verse 23, Jesus says, I in them and they in me that they may be perfect in unity, that the world may know that you love me. Oneness is not about eliminating differences, rather it is about being rooted in love. Love is the only thing powerful and sufficient enough to overcome these divisions. And that is why over and over again, Jesus tells us things like this, to love God, to love your neighbor, to love yourself, to love your enemy, because our love for God, for neighbor, for self, and for enemy reveals our oneness, and the measure of our oneness or our God-likeness is love. And in love, there may be differences, but there, is, but there are not divisions. I think this is key. In love, there may be differences, but there are not divisions. When, when I got married, I realized um, very quickly some of the things that you only realize when you get married. One of the things which I realized, and it was such a disturbing, um, uh, what do you call it, realization, was finding out that my wife, she, she squeezed a toothpaste tube from the middle, like with no regard, just zero regard. I, and I remember, you know, walking to the bathroom thinking, but why would you do that? Like, but why though, right? It makes no sense. It just makes absolutely, it does make sense. No, 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 it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But she's squeezing the toothpaste from the middle of the tube consistently. So, you know, I, I'm trying, I'm, I'm remembering we've had marriage counseling. How do you deal when you have differences like this? I'm like, hey, uh, you know, babe, could we try squeezing it from the bottom? It's, you know, it's neater, it's cleaner, you can roll it up, you get more, you know, this is, this is be we're better stewards of the tube if we do that. You know, come on, we're students, we're trying to save, let's do that. And you know, it, she tried it for about two days and then one day I came and it looked like she just stamped on it. It's just a big thing in the middle. And I realized, you know what? We're going to have to find our unity even though there are divisions and because we have love, that is larger and bigger than some of the things that we have divisions over. It's different. It's more important. Because in love, there may be differences, but there are no division. And I think the key to our oneness as we think about community is this, and this is key for me. The key to our oneness is not that we are alike, but that we are loved alike. 
And so it's moving the focus of our oneness on behavior to the person and to the one who loves us. Because again, John 17 is not keys to, let's say, if you are together, then the world will come to you, an evangelistic mandate for us. We can find that in other places. This is Jesus praying and sweating and thinking about me and thinking about you and saying he is praying that we can be one. So the key to our oneness is not that we are alike in everything that we do, but that we are loved alike. And oh, what wondrous love that love is that Christ has for us, that Christ has for all of us, that this morning we woke up, we were set in our right mind, the sun broke through our windows, that regardless of the failures and the foibles of the week, that God's grace and mercy has brought us here, that regardless of the difficulties that we are going through, love is the engine which moves this um, world along, which keeps this universe going, that we are loved and that oneness comes not because we are alike, but because we are loved alike. And as we consent to be gathered as a community to that love and to abide in it, we are gathered to each other. It is a prayer that Jesus is praying a new, and the New Interpreter's Bible commentary on this verse reminds us that Jesus is not speaking to the disciples or us. We are simply given the privilege over overhearing Jesus' intimate prayer spoken to the Father in heaven. And he places the body firmly in the Father's hand and entrusts us to his care. And I believe that the diversity that comes as we live under the risen Christ is a diversity which gives us beauty and an expression of beauty as a community. So here we go. Now we're going to try this. Okay. You're like, what is going on? All right. I'm not Dr. Scott, but just pretend I am. Okay. So I'm going to be shorter and going to be stunningly handsome with a beard. Okay. Okay. So this is it. So when we're talking about uniformity versus unity, as you sang, I thought to myself, well, here's the difference. If we were doing university, the clipped uh, trees and shrubs, you'd be singing one note. Okay, so you sang a song, Ubi, that one. Okay, get that in your head, my friends. Okay, so if you sang the first phrase of that in unison, in unison, what is that going to sound like? Okay, this is it. He's getting his, his uh, okay, here we go. Give me that in unison. Okay, you're killing my illustration because it still sounds good, right? Okay, <laughs> but, all right, here we go. Now you're going to do it as you were you practiced how what is that going to sound like or you're going to all right go for it wow okay that's phenomenal right and so when i think about the unity that we come into our gatherings with we know that across our denomination there are those who are pushing for uniformity that everyone has to look and think exactly the same. And as you have heard just about, because their voices are so angelic, there is a much broader and deeper beauty which comes when we are not 
pushing for uniformity, but we are coming under unity, which is undergirded, not in us being exactly alike, but being loved exactly alike. And so this morning, as an exercise for us to feel um, what it's like as we are in unity, I'm going to end by inviting you and to follow me in praying the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.